Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest, former Commodore basketball great Will Purdue. We will talk some football, the Elon game in the rearview mirror, the Wake Forest game coming up this weekend, and some basketball talk as the entire schedule has now been released. Will appears on the guest line. That's presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vanderbilt fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, made-to-order items. Whatever you want, Michael can probably build it. In fact, I've got a Dale Murphy jersey in my office. I've had it 15 years. I could not find a frame or a shadow box I liked. Michael custom-built me one. I hung it on my wall this week. Love it. So thanks to Michael for doing that. Anyway, if you'd like to... Have some work done. Michael can help you out. Give him a call or text on his cell. That number, 615-830-9548. Now on to our interview with Will Perdue. Former Vanderbilt basketball great and NBA star Will Perdue joins us. Will, of course, does plenty of media stuff for a living now. He also follows his alma mater heavily across the sports spectrum And so with that today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Elon game, the Wake Forest game ahead, some takeaways that Will had from the press conference this week that Clark Lee had, and also maybe some hoops talk. The basketball schedule is out now in its entirety. Will joining us on the road to somewhere. Will, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, Chris, you got it. So actually, just so our listeners know, I've I have one child, a son that is now 18 and a freshman at Miami of Ohio. So now that he is officially in college, and as he likes to refer to himself, you know, an adult, which we all know is not the case, just because you're 18 and you're, you're legally an adult doesn't necessarily mean you are one yet. He's still got a lot of maturity to do, but he technically no longer lives in Louisville, so, you know, I don't need to live there as well, so everybody that knows me and listens knows that I live part-time in Louisville, part-time in Chicago, but uh, we're about to be full-time in Chicago and driving to Louisville uh, a couple times this month as I uh, pack up, sell things, store things, in uh, the process of, uh, you know, lightening the load on the wallet, should we say as far as no longer need to rent a place or internet, cable, flights, gas. So that'll help tremendously. Good luck with all that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Anytime I hear the word moving, that sends chills up my spine. Um, Yeah, it's not – there's going to be an estate sale, I can promise you that. But, uh, you know, it's – it's just one of those things that you know I've had to do, and you know, I've done it for so long. It's second nature. So you know, not having to do this drive or fly to Louisville periodically on a monthly basis will be 
I don't think I'll get bored, but it'll be a, a change. Well, let's talk about Vanity this weekend. The win against Elon, it was a win. And look, at this point, I think any time the program gets a win, it's, a, I can say, a huge deal, but it's a, it's a good deal at least. Um, certainly we have seen losses to programs Vanderbilt should not be losing to in recent years and more than one of them. So Vandy gets the win, maybe not in dominating fashion like we thought it could be. And, of course, you've got a lot of moving parts there. You've got the start of school. You've got a return trip from Hawaii. So with all those factors there, Will, what did you make of Vanderbilt's 11-point win over Elon? Well, two things, Chris. And first of all, I was impressed by the the mental toughness that they showed. And the reason why I want to, you know, harp on that first and foremost is because I just don't think people understand the wear and tear that traveling to and from Hawaii does, uh, you know, on your body, the time change, the amount of time on a plane, it's just tough. So they're already behind the eight ball at the beginning of the week in preparation for the Elon game. The coaches knew this, the players know this, but it's just, you, you have to find a way to win. And quite honestly, the toughest games to win are the ones where you're expected to win, living up to the expectations, the pressure of stepping on that field or the basketball court with the expectation that you're the favorite and you're supposed to win for how many ever reasons. And they check those boxes, you know, got off to a great start, hit a lull, but still, and you, you, whatever you want to call it, held on. Was it impressive? No. Was it, was it a, a really solid start? Absolutely. But it's also, this is the game where the coaches can really go back, look at the film, talk to the players, talk about the mistakes, correct those. Because as we know, they're taking a really big step in talent as they prepare this week for Wake Forest. But the other thing, and I said two things, one, the mental toughness, but two, they're still figuring out how to win football games. And what I mean by that is, is yes, they beat Hawaii, and yes, they beat Elon. But when you jump out to a big lead like that in that first half, and you obliterate a defense, all the expectations are for you to keep doing so. And they didn't do that. And it was almost like they were looking at the clock, waiting, you know, almost. And you, and you see it in the body language. And I think a little bit also in the play calling. So this isn't just from a player standpoint. This is also from a coaching standpoint. And that's what I mean from a learning point. I feel like, you know, maybe they got a little too conservative, but also credit Elon for making some changes Also, their quarterback, I think, is pretty good. And, you know, the team, and that's what I mean about the mental toughness aspect. They got worn down a little bit, but yet, you know, they held on to win. But back to the winning, you know, they're still trying to, even when you're ahead, 
it's playing to win and not playing not to lose. If that, you know, I know there's a lot of the same words there, but I just think that, you know, we're still in that learning phase, infant phase, whatever you want to call it. Yes, you know, a lot of these guys have been there for a while. A lot of these guys come from winning programs. There's a lot of baggage within, you know, Vanderbilt athletics, especially on the football side. And I think these guys, you know, were able to shed some of that label a little bit. But, you know, winning is an art, and they're still trying to perfect that. Will, I always enjoy your take on these things. One, you were a speech major, I believe. And number two, the psychology. major, yes, sir. Yes, okay, clo- close enough. Didn't get the name right, but yes, you, you were an expert in that. You were always asking me to send you press conference videos. You're not only listening, but a lot of times you're watching body language and things. And, you know, the psychology of winning and losing. Look, you were at Vanderbilt at a time where the program – hadn't been very good by the time you were done you were in a sweet 16 and left the program on solid footing for for years to come after you so your take on the psychology of of learning to win and everything is always interesting to me what do you think the biggest challenges are for a football team like this that's 2-0 and and you go through that thing that they went through where they get up 21 nothing and you know whether it's being mentally and physically tired or not knowing how to play with the lead or, or whatever that might be. What do you see as the challenges for where they are today? Well, you know, and, and that's kind of where I go back to my experience of not only in Vanderbilt, but with the Chicago Bulls and also with the San Antonio Spurs. It's a lot of it has to do with belief and it's, it's a two way street there. Okay, because, you know, first of all, when you listen to Clark talk, you know, you're impressed, like you talk about, with the presentation, with the language, you know. I know a lot of people still want to go back to, you know, boy, that was an outlandish comment, you know, he made uh, at media day regarding, you know, the team and the goals and, you know, what they're trying to accomplish and, but I, I think anybody that knows Clark truly understands that he believes that. Does he believe that today, that this team? Absolutely not. But what he does do is believes that if given the resources, which the university has shown that they're, they're willing at the moment to do and attempting to do, he feels like because of his knowledge his background, playing for that team, walking on, that he can accomplish that. He truly wants to do that. He wants to be the guy that's there for 14 or 15 years, changes the culture, lives up to the expectations, steps up to where minimal a bowl game, where six and six is, is average at best, you still make a bowl game, but that's that's a disappointing season. And he's you know he's got a long way to go. But I think what he's also looking for is kids that want to be a part of that rebuilding process. Kids that believe in him, believe in the system, are smart enough to realize that if unfortunately 
the worst case scenario is football is a brutal sport. I get hurt and can't play. Or maybe I just become a really good college player, but don't play in the NFL. I want to have a good education. I want to have my future secure. I want to be able to step off that campus and know that there's a network of former alumni that are going to help me not only with my education in that, in that degree, but take care of me and put me in a position to succeed as well. It's not like, hey, I've left the university, they washed their hands of me, and now I'm on my own. And Clark's trying to develop that as well, but also in the sense that when you see him at the press conferences, you talk to him, that belief that we can get there. But at the same time, the belief that he's trying to instill in these, these players week in and week out, regardless of who the opponent is, to where they believe in the coach, they believe in the system, they look to their left, they look to their right, they believe in the guys they're in the room with. But they also realize that, hey, we still have a long way to go, but the one thing that we're not going to allow Wake Forest or Alabama or Georgia or Old Miss or Northern Illinois, we're not going to allow them to be tougher than us. If they're going to beat us, they're going to have to earn it. And then they're going to have the respect of our team as they walk off the field that things are changing. The tide is changing in Nashville. Keep an eye on Vanderbilt. They're not who you think they are because don't judge them on who they were. You better judge them on who they are and where they're going. And I think that, you know, it's a long-winded answer, but I think that that's what we're talking about from the league standpoint. And that's what I had instilled with me when I got to Vanderbilt and CM Newton and the expectations that were put on that program, even be, even during the past, because you got to remember there was a time when basketball, you know, was highly successful, you know, early on. And Clyde Lee and Charles Davis and, you know, the list goes on as far as successful players, successful teams, Roy Skinner. And you can, and, you know, unfortunately football's never been at that point, but I think they can get there. And I'm not talking about, a national title contender, and but I'm talking about a respectful, contending SEC team that you know is not at the bottom of the barrel every single year. You know, a team that you can say, however you want to put it, is the middle of the pack. And if you don't bring your A game, you're going to walk out of Nashville, or you're going to allow the Commodores to come in and beat you on the road because that's what they've now established. Okay, you've watched Clark Lee's press conference. What did you make of how he handled that and what he said? And by that, I mean the one on Tuesday. You know, first of all, I'm impressed. And and this kind of goes back to what I just was referring to. The guy wears a coat and tie to the press conference. Now, the tie may be a clip-on, and I I can only hope it is because I'd really like to give him a hard time about it. And yet he wears a coat and tie. And that's what I mean about what he's trying to establish. You know, he doesn't show up and, and listen, it's, it's no disrespect to anybody else, but it's just how much farther, how much harder he has to try in order to change that culture, to establish that image. You know, little things like wearing a coat and tie to the press conference. To me, as a former alumni, a former athlete and alumni, says a lot about who he is and what he's trying to establish and how he, what he, what his beliefs are and why he does it. 
but I think that, you know, the thing I took away from that press conference was, you know, you asked some questions about, what was it, only playing 36 guys in the game? Yeah. And about he stepped up and talked about how, you know, I have to play more. Guys deserve, have, have done the necessary things that we've asked and deserve to play. You know, so, and I think they're in a position to where they have a little more talent than they've had in the past to where those guys need to play and have to play. And they're going to need that depth because as they approach Wake Forest, you know, they're going to need that depth if you talk about those guys being a little fresher, you know, especially late in games with the number of reps that they're going to have to play. But, you know, I think that he stepped up and he didn't necessarily say, hey, I made a mistake. But he was saying that there were things that he can do better, that the coaches need to do better. And I think it's not just, hey, the players got to do this and the players got to do that. And, you know, I think that Clark realizes that he's, you know, the step up he's had to make from being, a, you know, a defensive coordinator to a head coach requires, you know, more accountability, requires, you know, the acceptance that, hey, I, I'm human, I make mistakes. But at the same time, you know, the expectations he has on these players. But I just think that, you know, he, the underlying message, in my opinion, and I know I can get long-winded at times, was he expects more from these guys. He knows what the challenges are that lie ahead with Wake Forest. Learn from your mistakes that you made against Hawaii and Elon, because we cannot afford to make those mistakes against Wake Forest. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Okay, psychologically, this is an interesting one. Wake is a program that's also a perennial bottom-tier program in its conference. It's similar profile academically. It's got Vanderbilt's old provost now, as its chancellor, uh, and good luck to your sports programs, Wake Forest. Uh, and I don't say that vindictively or anything like that. I just mean Susan Wente, I, I don't think, is a sports fan. And I'll be interested to see how that goes. But you've got all that. And now Vanderbilt has gone from winning two games fairly handily to being an underdog that started out around six points when the lines came out on Sunday. That is now, I think, 12.5 or 13.5. The reason for that wake has announced Sam Hartman, its star quarterback, apparently will start this one. That's a 
lot of stuff there for this week, but I'm just curious as to how Vanderbilt's mindset is going into this one with all those things. Well, I think first and foremost, you know, the defense is going to be put under tremendous pressure. And you heard in that press conference, Clark talk about patience. You know, because what what do they call it? The, the mesh? What, how do they refer the to it? The slow mesh. The slow mesh. Because of the, the, the read that they, it's almost like, you know, the quarterback and the running back are in slow motion for a period of time as they try to read the defense and get the defense to bite so they can make a read and get an advantage on the, on every every single play. But that's where but there's also the word of discipline where they're pounding into these guys' heads and I'm talking about the defense. The discipline that's going to be required against this specific type of offense. You know, they may not come to you, they may not hit your hole. You know, five, six, seven plays, but don't take shortcuts. Don't jump out of your reads. Don't, you know, think that you know exactly what's going on. You know, stay in your, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm going to use the term, stay in your lane. You know, may never be more true than it is in this game right here because of what's going to be required of the defense. And also you're hoping, because as Clark talked about, this is a big play offense with Wake. Big play. Bend, but don't break. Because, listen, there's a reason why that number is double, to pull the upset. But they just have to play so well and make so few mistakes. And quite honestly, maybe get a couple calls to go their way that even in review, as we're watching, we're like, how did they not change that? Or how did they change that? Or that goes in Vanderbilt's way. Because, and that's the other thing, you know, Chris, as, a, as a, an alumni, we've seen so many years where it just seems like nothing's going our way. Get a little momentum and a bad call. That's ridiculous. The officials don't like us. You know, whatever it may be. But that's another thing that, you know, Clark is trying to change as well, is that attitude, those expectations, the belief. So I'm, I'm anxiously awaiting this game because, to me, this game means so much more to Vanderbilt than it does to Wake Forest. And even though Vanderbilt is an underdog, there's expectations in those coaches' offices, the players' you know, locker room, but also from an alumni point, how do they now do that the talent level is stepping up? How do we play? And how do we look? And what's the eye test say when this game is over? Will, are you ready for the mailbag? Yes, sir. All right. The mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, please call Taylor or Russell. That number, 615-846-6200, see what your rights are and if they can help. Okay, you've covered some of this already, but maybe a bigger picture after two games take. Uh, GoDoors94 wants to know your thoughts on the football team two weeks in. You know, this comes from the position of I was very fortunate to be able to sit in on team meetings. Did not see them practice because it was, you know, it was a Sunday, an off day physically. But sat in on the team meeting, sat in on uh, 
the uh, offensive meeting, sat in on the coaches' meeting, you know, and kind of got a better understanding of where this is all coming from and what they're trying to accomplish. They've they've done exactly what we felt like they should have done. They've won two games that they should have won. I know there was a lot of unknown going into that Hawaii game. But they beat two opponents that we all felt like they should have beat. Two teams that they were favored. So they've, again, as you mentioned, I mentioned it, they've answered the bell from an expectation standpoint. But now the question is, how do they respond from, to, to Wake Forest? I think we can no longer say that you know, they're tired mentally and physically outside of normal, hey, we're in week three fatigue, right? The Hawaii, we can't use traveling back from an Hawaii. Hawaii. That's that, that, take that kind of like a ball of paper, wad that up and throw it in the trash. Can't even talk about Hawaii. Hawaii's in the past, in the rearview mirror. What did we learn from Elon that's going to help us be wake? Or should we say put us in a position to where here we are in the fourth quarter and we still, whether we have the lead, whether we're behind, we can still win this game. We're, we're still in a position to win regardless of how we played in those first three quarters. And that's what I really want to see. I think it would be, you know, I'm not trying to be funny, but I think it would be marvelous if we won. Somewhat unexpected. And I, I know people may be listening and be like, well, wait a minute, you said you, can, you think they can. I do. But I also think that Wake is more experienced. They have that belief. Even if they get down, they know how explosive their offense is. And they're not facing as many hurdles mentally or physically than Vanderbilt is. So that's why there's so much at stake here, but there's so much to watch and so much to digest during this game. It's, you know, Clark is very low-key and, they asked the question about how big the game is. You know, he's not going to try to blow it out of proportion. But the players, you better believe they're talking about how big of a game this is. Alumni, former football players, are talking about how big of a game this is. This, this game carries a lot of weight. So not only am I interested to see, you know, I will not be at the game, but I'll be watching on TV. Not only am I, you know, excited to see how they're going to play from the get-go, but how many people are actually going to show up in the stands? That to me, that's that that says a lot as well. This isn't just about the team and the coaches. This is also about the university, the fan base, the student section. There's a lot going on here. Okay, well, let's shift to hoops, and that's probably where we will spend the rest of our time in this podcast. Bobby two times says. Do you attend any basketball practices? And if so, what do you think of the current level of talent? I have not. And not because I don't want to. I just have not had the ability to. You know, I'm technically my job takes me from October to April. You know, with what I do in Chicago with NBC Sports Chicago plus Westwood One Radio. And it just, it makes it very difficult. But. I do know for a fact this year I will be at the Pittsburgh game in Nashville. And I think it's North Carolina State in Chicago. They're actually playing at the United Center. They're coming to my turf. So I will get a chance to see them play and hopefully, you know, prior to those games, get to see them practice. 
But I will say this. I feel like the talent has gotten better. I feel like that, that Jerry has realized how important recruiting is. And I think he's realized that from day one, but just really how important it is for him to be out there beating the streets, for him to get the FaceTime. You know, every, every head coach knows that, but just taking the time, investing the time, letting the players see them, letting these kids know how important they are and not just leaving that up to the assistants. The assistants do all the initial legwork, but then it's up to the, up to the head coach, not only in Nashville, but also on the road to close the deal. And I think the Jerry's stepped that up. Obviously, the, the improvement in the facility over McGugan has helped tremendously. And again, another program, albeit a little slower than we'd like, I understand there's no longer, you know, no Scotty Pippen Jr., but I think they have some talent that can fill that void. But again, it's, as you mentioned, the schedule has dropped. I don't think they did him any favors, but it is what it is. Now you look at the schedule, you attack it accordingly, and you try to win as many games as possible. I think we're now at the point, Chris, where we should start thinking, you know, postseason is a reality. And maybe it's not the NCAA, maybe it's the NIT, but that's that's a huge step in the right direction. Okay, the next question comes from Bobby two times. It's about the schedule. He wants your prediction on the non-conference record for the upcoming season. Just uh, to give this to you, since it's not in front of you as you drive, okay, here's the schedule. Memphis and Southern Miss at home. Road trip to Temple, Moorhead State here, St. Mary's in Anaheim, and either Fresno State or Washington in Anaheim the next day, that is around Thanksgiving. A road trip to VCU, followed by three home games in a row, that's Wofford, Pitt, and Grambling State. Then the aforementioned NC State game in Chicago, followed by Alabama A&M and Southeastern Louisiana. So that's the non-conference schedule. How do you size that up in terms of win-loss record? That would be what? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 13 games. I, I, you know, I, I applaud the schedule because I think they're going to be tested often and early prior to the SEC. And as I was adding it up in my head and – you know, some of the teams I know a little bit about, some of the teams I know a lot about, and some of the teams I know nothing about. But just historically, the programs that they're playing and where they're playing, I'm going to say seven and six. I think they're going to win the games we expected to win. Um, a lot of the road games they have are going to be tough games. Whether, you know, whether you want to say at BCU, not neutral sites in Anaheim and Chicago, I just think it's it's a tough – maybe people won't agree with me, but I just think that is a tough pre-SEC schedule. And I think if they're 7-6, and six, I think the team and the coaches will be disappointed, but I, I'll, be, I'll be pleased. Okay, let's add in the conference schedule now. The league did them no favors, I don't think. Um, of course, they play everybody in the league once. And then you've got five opponents that are home and away. You've got South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, Florida, Alabama. My guess is that 
South Carolina will be a bottom third of the league team, probably a team that will be playing on Wednesday night in the SEC tournament. And then Kentucky, Tennessee may be top five teams in the country. And Alabama, I think, will be preseason ranked. And I think Florida's got a, maybe a chance to probably a team that's got a good shot at the NCAA tournament. That is not an easy slate. No, it's not. And and listen, it's this is where I think we're now, quite honestly, we're back to where the SEC was. And that's even when I was playing, right? You try to schedule in the pre-SEC schedule, you try to schedule a couple games that, you know, you can win by 20 and 30 points. You schedule some tough games to where you can, you're tested. And if you play well, you win. If you don't, you lose. And you prepare yourself for the SEC. I think they have done that with the schedule that they have. But what I mean by we're back to where we we start, where the SEC used to be, I mean, seriously, you're looking at, you want to go 500. Right? And then you're like, well, then you're only one game above. If what you're saying is true and they're going to go seven and six and then go 500, then you're only one game above 500 when the season ends. That's correct. You know? But that's what I think as far as where the SEC is now. You just went down the list with Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida. Now, there's some games that you should expect to win, but it's just, I think the talent level has risen. The quality of the coaches that are now in the SEC has improved dramatically. And I just think that the, the, the SEC, even though people still want to call it a football conference, is on the rise when it comes to basketball. And yes, I think Vanderbilt's gotten better, but so have so the other teams. So I'm not trying to be demeaning when I say 500. I just think that that's because of how much better the SEC has gotten as far as quality, talent, and, you know, the level of play that's now in the SEC. And some people may not agree with me, but I just, from what I've seen over the last two years, that's just, it's, we're back to where we were as far as just every night it's going to be a dogfight. Every night you got to bring your A game. Occasionally you won't be able to win. With your A game, occasionally you may be able to win without your A game, but there's there's no gimmies because of just and like you mentioned, South Carolina just you know they're a tough game just because of how hard they'll play. You know that's the one thing. Like when I talk about the NBA a lot, people talk about why are the Miami Heat so good when some of the other teams have more talent, but it's just the expectations and the level of toughness and how hard they play. If you're on a bad night and you're mentally fatigued and you're not ready, they'll beat you and they'll wear you down. And the only expect, the only explanation you'll have is, is they played harder and they wanted it more. That's going to happen to every team in the SEC this year throughout the season. Not that they're going to lose to South Carolina, but they're going to have one or two of those games where they lose a game they shouldn't have. I was going through, I guess, ESPN. Um, Jeff Borzello was the guy who did this, has put out his preseason top 25. Nobody on the out-of-conference schedule, unless I missed something, was in there. Conference opponents that are ranked, 
Uh, Arkansas, which Vanderbilt plays once, is ninth. Auburn, which Vanderbilt also plays once, is 13th. Kentucky, again, a two-time opponent, number four. Tennessee, a two-time opponent, 12. And then Alabama, a two-time opponent at 20. And Florida, South Carolina, not ranked. But I think Florida, my guess is Florida is probably going to be projected for the NCAA tournament by, by some media outlets when those come out. We'll wait and see. Right, but I, I also think that it's kind of like what we're talking about football. And, you know, we can sit here and talk about it. it's unfortunate we're in this position because, you know, we kind of, you know, took the road, took a big dip in the roller coaster. But I think we've now hit the bottom and are on our way back up. But we also have to judge how the team is playing because of the, the quality of these opponents. We're probably going to see some games later in the season, Chris, where the team actually plays pretty well, but they still lose because yeah. the other team is just better. And that's where, as you mentioned, you know, uh, two-timer mentioned the level of talent that Vanderbilt has. Yes, it's improving, but other schools still just have better talent. So sometimes it's just when another team has better talent, it's just it's almost impossible to beat them. Because they don't have to bring their A game, where Vanderbilt does. And mentally, what we're asking Jerry Stackhouse and this team to do is, is tough to do. When you take everything into a, to effect, and I mean handling the adversity of there's problems with the plane and the bus breaks down and injuries. And, you know, because I was just thinking about this the other day, playing hard and you're in games, and you're losing by two points, and then the next game you lose by one point, and the next game you lose by five points, but yet you're, you're playing well, and, and you know the coaches are happy with the effort, but that wears on you mentally. And then that's when I talk about you hit that game that you shouldn't have lost because mentally you're just fatigued, and maybe there's a, a three-minute stretch where there's a bad call, you miss the front end of a one-and-one, one, there's a turnover, you miss a layup, and then you're just, as a team, and as, mentally you're just like, here we go. Another game we're in, another game that we have an opportunity to win, and we just shoot ourselves in the foot. you got to get past that. you got to get over that. And that's kind of like you can take this whole thing full circle. Clark Lee's working, you know, against the same evil that Jerry Stackhouse is of – learning how to win, get past that hump that when, hey, everybody makes mistakes, that, hey, the officials don't hate us. Put that aside, you know, push through. It's, it's just what it is, and that's you deal with that in the NBA, you deal with that in the NFL, you deal with that in college, you deal with it in high school. That's why it's, just, it, it's not just about talent. Talent is a lot of it, but it's about mental toughness. It's about, you know, the the makeup of the players that you recruit and their ability to figure it out and, you know, and whether you say it's winning ugly, whether it's winning pretty, whatever it is, just figuring out how to win regardless of the challenges that are put forth in front. Will, we covered a lot of ground today. Anything worth mentioning on basketball or football that we didn't get to today? Um, honestly, 
Chris, I don't think so. I mean, that's, that's kind of where I like doing these podcasts with you because, you know, you come in prepared. I, I love the mailbag. Um, you know, I hope that the, the people that listen continue to still send in more and more questions, you know, because occasionally those questions bring up ideas that we forget to touch on. Yeah. And that's where I think like, you know, we end up every podcast with, Hey, we've covered a lot of ground today. I think that's what people want. I think that's, you know, what they want to hear. You know, you cover a lot of bases, you go through a lot, you know, you answer a lot of questions and you know, you just, Listen, I think the main thing is, and this is the hard part, because every time that football wins a game or every time that basketball wins a game, the expectations change. You know, you can hear people, fans, coaches, hey, you can't move the goalpost. This day and age, the goalposts constantly move from week to week. That's just what society is now. That's what social media has done. And, you, and coaches, players, everybody has to adapt because we're going to love you one week and we're going to be pissed off the next. So that's just, you've got to somehow just, and that's where, you know, you like to, coaches are always like trying and hoping, put your phones up, don't look at Instagram, don't look at uh, Reddit, don't look at uh, Twitter. I'm sure there's other ones that are a lot more in vogue at the present moment for college kids. But, you know, that's the hard part, too, is they see that. It's right there in their face. You know, when I was playing, if you didn't get the paper, you didn't know what was going on because as a college kid, I can tell you right now, the last thing you were watching was the news. So you never watched the weather. You never watched the sports. As college kids, as guys, we were watching, you know, I'm old enough now, I can admit this. We were watching – soap operas just like the girls because you had to have something in common if you wanted to try to you know meet somebody to have start a conversation right hey did you see what happened on days of our lives this week <laughs> i know people are laughing but as a teenager man you're trying to figure it out <laughs> you know I, I try to get prepared i did not foresee soap operas as a conversation on today's show Well, you got to understand as, as, and I've, I've tried to broach that subject gently with my son because I always want him to be respectful. You know, I want him, I want him to be, you know, a gentleman, but you gotta, you gotta find some way to, to, to enter that bubble, to, bro, to approach that conversation. Right. Right. And you got to find some common ground. And I, I know whether guys want to admit it or not, when they were in college, they were watching too. I just feel like I'm at a point in my life where, you know, I can take the abuse and people can give me a hard time and be like, Hey, come on. I was 19. I was in college. That's, that's a huge part of the college experience, right? Okay, on on your former teammates, who was the most avid soap opera watcher? You know, that's a good question. And I honestly don't know the answer to that. And if I did, but I will tell you this. Steve Reese missed plenty of classes 
watching Rambo for the umpteenth time. What? <laughs> now, how does that happen? There's a little bit of... It, well... There are certain there are certain movies in your life that, regardless of your age, that if it's on, you're not clicking the channel and you're going no farther. Okay, and I'll throw one out there that you know is didn't win any awards, but if, for whatever reason, you know if Fast Times at Ridgemont High is on, yes, um, all right, you got me, all right. Clear my calendar for the next 90 minutes. Um, I, it just sucked me in, you know? Even though I can spout off everything, Spicoli, the whole thing, you just you just watch because it, it was humorous. It was funny. You're going to enjoy it. But he his movie was Rambo. And more times than not, he would watch Rambo with the door open. You know, because we all, as upperclassmen, lived in singles you know, over there in the towers, which no longer exist. And more times than not, he'd start watching that with the door open. And by the time they got halfway through, there was, it was standing room only. So you can say that Steve Reese is responsible for more than one student skipping class to watch a movie they had seen numerous times. Hey, there's, there's nothing wrong with little fiesta on our time. <laughs> But considering that we were expected more so than regular students to be in class all day, every day, there there might have been a little running, some suicides that may have been run because Steve Reese and Rambo sucked us in. I'm sure Steve Reese is really going to appreciate your appearance on this podcast today. Well, his answer will be, we all have choices. You, unfortunately, <laughs> made the wrong one that day. Wow. <laughs> well, uh, with that, I, I guess we'll end today's show. Uh, we may have a lot to talk about. I think we will one way or the other next week through the weight game. And, and Will is going to try to join us most weeks. Sometimes travel and schedules don't permit. But, um, Will, I, I feel like there's been an improvement in in material to talk about with a 2-0 and start and Hopefully there'll be a few more of those on the way uh, to discuss during football season. And then, goodness, when when they release the basketball schedule, you know that's not far away either. Yeah, but I will. I'm going to stick by it. What I've seen through those two games is I will stick by my prediction that I made earlier that Vanderbilt will win an SEC football game. Will win a football game against an SEC opponent this year. All right. Well, that that'll be interesting to follow. Uh, the SEC schedule is. I think is, that's a that's a great place to end this week's podcast. Yeah, the, the two weeks away. I, I, I don't think the 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 SEC win they'll get will be the first one. That's Alabama. But um, <laughs> if they do that, we might have well, to do a double let's, episode. Let's put, it, <laughs> let's put it this way: if they do, Clark is getting a lifetime extension on his contract. Yeah, I, I think he he might be deserved at that point. Um, Will, thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you again soon. All right, Chris. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.